And good afternoon. Yeah, grab your coat and get your hat. Hi, Dan. What's happening, Buzz? How's your Wednesday? Uh, happy Wednesday to you. I am uh, calling. I am Skyping in from, from beautiful Ashfield. And finally, I see that there are more leaves on the ground than there are on the trees. So it is winter is a brewing, but it's a balmy day here. How about there in Northampton? Uh, it's wet, Buzz. It's very wet, but I like it. We needed some rain, and we're getting it, so I'm not complaining. You should. <laughs> you should. It's also really Although warm. I am. If I can add that. It's really yeah. warm. I like it. I know. You're Brazilian. <laughs> you like it. <laughs> so I'm very grateful today. Let me just lay out this next segment. Uh, a little bit. Um, the Northampton School Committee has been dealing with uh, COVID protocols, um, as well every school committee should, and they created an ad hoc COVID-19 advisory committee some time ago. That advisory committee is, um, there is a controversy that's been a brewing. Uh, that uh, was evident last week when on the Bill Newman show in the morning, um, Josh Silver um, came on and he talked about how he disagrees with some members of the ad hoc committee, of the school committee, about what pro COVID protocols uh, should happen. Josh was advocating for uh, compliance with um, guidance that's coming from uh, DESI, the uh, Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, um, and the state public health officials, and um, there are some members of the board uh, and others who, a couple who he said felt differently and, and he disagreed strongly. Um, Bill uh, got a phone call from an ad hoc subcommittee member, uh, Michael Stein and Joe Pater, a father who has children in the school, as does Michael Stein. And um, they uh, wanted to be on Bill's show. Well, Bill had, I had a guest host, not I got to guest host for Bill yesterday when Michael Stein and Joe Pater were on and they articulated their position after which Josh Silver contacted me and see, said he would like to respond. I invited um, Michael Stein side and Josh Silver side on for today for various reasons and they're legitimate reasons, I think. Um, Michael Stein declined to come uh, on the show. Josh Silver is under the weather, he's got a bad cold. And fortunately, however, we have a very knowledgeable um, a parent uh, of children in the Northampton schools, Adrian Staub, who's been involved in school opening and masking debates since the fall of 2020, and he's a member of Mask Choice Pioneer Valley. He's also a professor at University of Massachusetts who studies reading and language processing and teaches statistics, and he's with us on his way to the airport in a, in a strong signal position there. Adrian, hello. Hello, Buzz. Thank you very much for having me on. I hope the signal holds up. You sound great right now. And I, just as an aside, boy, would I like to talk to you about John Fetterman uh, and yeah. that debate <laughs> and cognitive versus reading and language processing. But we'll hold that for another time uh, because yeah, we're going to talk day. masks right now. So can, can you lay out from your perspective what the issue is and where you land on it? Right. So um, I'm just to pick up from uh, what you were saying. So so the, the ad hoc committee that was um, convened to provide guidance uh, to the school committee in Northampton on covid policy voted to uh, voted that the school committee should, in fact, adopt a very simple policy of following DESE's guidance, the state uh, Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Um, and, you know, that. Uh, that decision, that vote to follow DESE, you know, arguably was a very sort of straightforward and maybe a no-brainer in the sense that, you know, that's what 
the, the vast majority of school districts around the state are doing. Um, and, you know, of course, DESE has itself incorporated the, the guidance of many public health experts and many educational experts. But it has been tied up in this continued wrangling in the school committee. And now the, this, this rule subcommittee is, is considering the issue. So uh, I'm very much in favor of uh, adopting the current DESE guidance, which would um, uh, maintain, uh, which would not impose mandatory masking on students in our schools um, under current conditions. Why are you in favor of that? So, um, you know, I think that that one of the things that we have seen uh, become increasingly clear, um, uh, this was foreseeable to many, um, but has become increasingly clear from the data, is the, the enormous cost to our kids of the various ways in which their education has been disrupted over the last now two and a half years. So starting with school closings, but also including masking, um, you know, the tremendous learning loss the uh, interruption to social and emotional development. Um, the mainstream press is now fully acknowledging the costs of these policies. I mean, and they often frame it as, you know, effects of COVID, but in fact, in fact, effects of the pandemic, but I mean, it's really more properly understood as effects of, of our uh, policies in relation to the pandemic. Um, uh, you know, masking of kids, especially younger kids who have, um, who are who are learning uh, learning to read? Kids who have any kind of speech delay, uh, social emotional delays. Um, I mean, ma masking for an extended period can be really catastrophic. So the costs are real, and at this point, with COVID in a highly vaccinated population um, with a lot of immunity, um, the, the 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 effects of COVID are not what they were in in 2020. Certainly, at the beginning of of this pandemic in 2020. Um, you know, we know that for a vaccinated individual and most groups, um, COVID is a cold or a flu. Um, and this is not, this is borne out by the data from Massachusetts and from everywhere else. So I think, you know, we, we both have in a sense of the, the costs of, of masking for kids, um, which are indisputable at this point, And we have, um, we are not in, in the kind of situation we were in. Uh, when we initially imposed mask policies. Do you, Adrian Staub, feel that uh, last week reported, I think it was last week, yes it was, last week reported on what's euphemistically called the nation's report card. It was the assessment from the National Assessment of Educational Progress um, called NAEP, um, that frightening scores, that mathematics uh, scores of fourth graders and eighth graders nationally declined, the greatest decline in the history of uh, doing this report card um, was a 25% decline in math uh, prowess since 2019, and um, on reading, uh, a sharp decline in reading as well. Do you attribute that to uh, the response to the pandemic that we're talking about? I mean, I do. Um... You know, and I think some of the best evidence we have for that is that in countries uh, like the Scandinavian countries that did not close schools for any extended period of time or did not ask children for any extended period of time, I mean, they've done their own assessments of learning loss and have not found these kinds of, of impacts on kids. So, I mean, we have, in a sense, a natural experiment, and we, we can, I think, fairly confidently attribute, you know, what we've seen to what we've done. Um, and I must say, as I said, as I said a few minutes ago, I mean, I think a lot of this was really foreseeable. Um, you know, if we step back a little bit and think about all the ways in which seeing other people's faces is critical for child development, um, uh, let alone for sort of the, the the concrete things that kids are supposed to be learning in school. Um, you know, this is all really very tragically foreseeable. Adrian, what would it take for you to say, whoop, we should go back to a mandatory mask policy? What kind of numbers would we have to see? What kind of uh, uh, change in DESE policies or um, CDC policies would it take for you to agree that mandatory masking has become once again appropriate so to talk about? That's a good question. I, I think 
I think that's a really good question. Um, it's a fair question to ask somebody with my position. Um, you know, one of the things we've seen is a gradual change in the public health community's assessment of what forms of masking are actually effective, right? So initially we were told to wear cloth masks um, and then surgical masks. And now we're told that really um, to prevent, trans- to have a su- significant effect on transmission, we need to be wearing, you know, fitted N95s. And, you know, in a school environment, um, Oh, we need to be wearing fitted N95s, and we really need to not take them off. Um, you know, and whether that could ever happen in a school environment is really, you know, is really questionable. So whether a, a, a mask mandate could actually be effective, given the, the realities of a school environment in which kids are, you know, running around, they're eating, they're engaging in a whole lot of different activities, I think that's, I think that's hard to say. I do think, I will say this, I think that the kids should be the last ones to be masked. So... So the idea that we would mask kids in school and not have a mandatory, not have mandatory masking for adult gatherings um, or in businesses, for example, seems to me to be uh, uh, rather upside down. And and that's the approach that Europeans have taken, where they have basically, um, they have basically, even when they've had mask mandates for adults uh, in many European countries, they have not had kids, especially the youngest kids, uh, masked in school. I'd like to just circle back a little bit because um, I'm fascinated by uh, your discipline and your prowess in your discipline. Uh, as a, uh, you study psycholinguistics, you're in the Department of Psycholinguistics, and you study reading and language processing, and you teach to that. Um, does do you think your position comes in part from your discipline? Um, I just want to I want to amend that by just saying. Joe Pater, who feels differently than you, he teaches linguistics and is a professor yes, of linguistics yes, at the university right. as so well. We're in we're in we're actually in different departments. My primary department is psychological and brain sciences, and Joe's is linguistics. Um, but we know each other well, uh, and I respect Joe as a scientist. Um, we have very different views about these matters. It's true. Um, you know, I. I um, I don't know if my position, my view does uh, come specifically from my disciplinary expertise. I do think that my view is informed by my my willingness to engage deeply with the data, and um, you know, from early in the pandemic, um, I was trying to. Um, you know, I teach statistics to undergrads. I teach uh, hundreds of undergrads uh, introductory statistics every year. And so, you know, um, when, when, when people in, in, in the public realm are making claims about data and, and causal claims um, about one thing causing another, um, you know, it's natural for me and, and for many other scientists to, uh, uh, to, to have a look at those data ourselves. And the data um, you know, comparing one state to another, comparing one country to another, um, has been widely available from the beginning. And then we've seen, you know, uh, uh, more and more carefully designed studies that have done things like investigated the effectiveness of school mask mandates specifically. Um, you know, we don't have any randomized controlled trials of school mask mandates, uh, but we do have you know, studies that have done the next best thing, like a study in Spain that compared a, a, a many thousand um, unmasked five-year-olds to masked six-year-olds, which was what the Spanish regulations required um, for a while, and, you know, to look for any effect of, of that mandatory masking and finding none, um, and other such, other such studies. So it's more my facility with data and my interest in examining the data than it is, I think, my, my specific disciplinary knowledge. That got me. That got me to this point. In the minute that we have left, do you know whether or not the DESI, the Department of uh, of um, Elementary and Secondary Education guidance, do they have doctors? Do they have physicians and scientists uh, assisting with that, or are those just educators creating those guidelines? Well, so my understanding is that the DESI guidelines were actually issued in conjunction with the the Massachusetts. Uh, public health authorities. So they are joint guidelines, effectively, that come out of both our educational 
bureaucracy and our public health bureaucracy. Um, and I mean, and in a way, that's what distinguishes them from the CDC's guidelines at the national level, which are are not um, are not. I think it's very important that you know we have involved in this dialogue educators who are seeing some of the costs of our policies. Right? Um, if we're focusing only on doing everything we can to stamp out uh, infection, but not thinking about the educational costs of our policies, we're really missing something. Well, I very much appreciate you sharing your perspective with us today. You articulated very clearly and well. I'm. Uh, it's a shame we don't have someone, because uh, I know they feel very passionately uh, from the other side to articulate theirs, but uh, I hope these are our children we're talking about. It's our future we're talking about. And um, I'm really glad that uh, people such as you, Adrian Stav, are giving such thoughtful um well, such deep thought uh, to what's in their best interest. So thank you so much for joining us. Drive safely to the airport today. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Buzz. I really appreciate it. Okay, Adrian. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dan and I are going to chat a little bit about polling um, during this electoral season. How important is it? And uh, then we're going to uh, be joined by Nan Parati, and we're going to talk about an interesting thing. Be right back after these messages. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Voting as well as early voting is the way to go. It shows that we trust the voters. They know why they need an early ballot. They know why they need an absentee ballot. It's not up to government to decide if it's a legitimate reason or not. The voters should get to choose. So this, I think, is a huge advance. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Life moves fast, and kids move at the speed of life. Well, Franklin First is here to help you and your kids stay in control. With Franklin First Federal Credit Union's Teen Checking Program, your teen can manage their money and stay on the go while you enjoy peace of mind. Conditions apply, so see your Franklin First professional for details and requirements. Or start at franklinfirst.org. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, member NCUA. I am Marco, and I am always been full of life, full of energy, and always on the go. At the age of 21, I was diagnosed with kidney disease. My life was saved by an organ donor. Receiving a life-saving organ put my life back into play, and I was able to move forward and make my dreams come true. Anyone can sign up to be an organ donor, whether you're 16 or 96. Be a hero. Be an organ donor. Register today. Register at registerme.org. Sponsored by New England Donor Services. Eat more kale, says the bumper sticker. Why assume I'm not eating enough kale? If you eat at Paul and Elizabeth's, there's always kale. There's the Caesar salad with kale, with romaine, or both. There's the vegetarian platter, vegetables sautéed to perfection, including kale. Or just order a side of sautéed greens. Some people treat kale like one of those good-for-you-but-no-one-really-likes-it things. Maybe those people have never been to Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant. Inside Thorns in Northampton. Remember landline telephones? Only a third of the country still has one, and it's little wonder. A study by EMP, a communications data firm, found 87% of calls made to a landline number are unwanted, meaning they come from a scammer or telemarketer trying to sell something. Rising mortgage rates continue to depress the housing market. The National Association of Realtors reports sales of existing homes fell 1.5% from August to September, with fewer sales, the median home price fell again to $384,800. GM is getting deeper into the electric truck game to compete with Ford. GMC has introduced the first-ever Sierra EV. The 2024 Sierra EV Denali Edition will reportedly provide 400 miles of range on a full charge. It'll be GMC's third all-electric pickup. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. 
And we are back, and thank you for joining us again. So we are going to go from the Northampton School Committee's um, uh, question about what's the best way to protect our children in terms of masking and COVID protocols uh, as they've returned to school to sort of a big, broad, important question. We all know that um, in 2016, we were told that, um, that uh, Trump had no path to 270 and we all learned i dare say the hard way that that wasn't true in 2020 once again the presidential elections left many people scratching their heads about whether polling still works um there are a couple of articles that i've read by the um pew um people the pew uh trust research center that's what it's called um, about it, but I, I was just talking to Dan before we went on the air earlier this afternoon. And Dan, you were telling me that uh, what you've been reading is you, you see polls, gaps closing in in some battleground states. And I, I talk about Pennsylvania, and of course there was an important debate last night for the Senate. Many say that it might result in uh, that the winner might turn the Senate into a majority for one side or the other, whichever the winner is on. Michigan, Wisconsin, those two sort of companion states. My my little when my daughter was little, she called them Michigan <laughs> and Arizona. <laughs> um, so wh- what have you heard? And you said that uh, you're concerned about it. Yes. Yeah, so here here is my concern about it. That um, well, back in, in late August, early September. It looked like the Democrats were uh, on the front foot. They looked like overall across all of those battleground states, they were doing well. They were in a lead and statistically significant lead in a lot of those states. What has happened since, Buzz, is maybe some of the excitement has come off. The Republican candidates are moving up and there are very narrow polls right now saying it's neck and neck uh, between... Um, any of the races, really, if you look at it, if you look at Georgia Senate race, if you look at the one you mentioned in Pennsylvania, there is a gap narrowing. And this normally happens, but we are two weeks away. And if you had to say somebody had the momentum right now, I have to give it to the Republicans. Uh, It looks to me like they have at least the energy that... uh, that the the wind is behind their their backs uh, for a lot of the candidates. So, again, people care about the House and Senate. I have said here publicly that I think the Republicans definitely have the House, and they have a very good chance at winning the Senate. I think it's still going to be a 50-50, but we don't know. Um, Maybe 51-49 for either Democrats or Republicans. That's what I'm thinking, Um, but that's just giving the momentum seems to be behind the Republicans, and we're only two weeks away. Yeah, and I have heard some of that depressingly, uh, you know, that the double digits uh, leads like in the New York gubernatorial race have closed to, you know, mere few points. Um, that Georgia's senatorial race has closed to within three or four points, depending on which poll you look at. Um, and the, the, ben, but the, problem, the problem that I have is the, are the polls reliable? Anyway, because we all remember what happened in 2016. There was no path again, no pathway for Trump to 270. And what it didn't take into account is that the people who weren't responsive to polls, the president just said the other day that, well, it depends on, he's not relying too much on the polls because it depends on who's willing to answer when the phone rings. And the benchmarks that are used, you know, there's different benchmarks for those who don't know different polls, you know, are you a U.S. citizen? Do you have health insurance? Have you lived at the same address for more than a year? Um, Do you only speak English at home? Uh, You know, these benchmarks, these questions that they ask respondents, have you received Social Security within the last year? Or do you live in a single adult household? People have to be willing to go through that surveying kind of do you smoke? Oh, who are you going to vote for president? You know, right. Um, and, and sometimes people aren't willing to go through those questions, that process. 
which skewers it. Now, many people have said that the reason why it's often the surprise is that Republicans do better than we thought is because Republicans are less willing to go through that than Democrats who are willing to submit themselves to a more academic kind of survey. They're more willing to be patient and put themselves through that for whatever reason. It sounds holier than now for me to say it because obviously I lean Democrat, but um, there has to be some explanation. And aside from that, there are questions about uh, whether unemployed, young people, um, you know, immigrants uh, who are citizens and voters, all those subgroups, uh, are they willing to participate in a poll? And, um, you know, and finally, there's, there's we just had a statistician on the air in the first segment, but sometimes um, there are random surveys. You just ask whoever's in the room, right? right? And, mm-hmm. and sometimes there are targeted surveys that are representational of, you know, if we have, um, if 2.5% of the population are Jewish, we'd like to have our survey have 2.5% Jewish people and the other demographic um, break down that way. So there's a real question about whether the polls that we're looking at are reliable, but you are right. I keep hearing these narrowing in some really key races and it it does chill me. how do you explain it? Why do you think the Republicans seem to be catching up? Well, I think it's part of it is this was going to happen regardless. Uh, as you get closer to the election, this is this always tends to happen. But I also think the economy and inflation, that conversation is, is gathering steam. I think the uh, controversies that, that maybe happened after the, the Supreme Court decisions and the anger and the activism begins to sort of I don't want to say wither down. It just tends to slow down as more people are focused after Labor Day. They're focused more on, okay, what's going to happen in this election? Let me make decisions. And people are making these decisions. And I think people feel the unease of the economy. I think that that's playing a role, a bigger role than I think we we can give it credit for. If I had to guess. It's, it's a really interesting topic. Well, we're, we're going to have to keep coming back to it. We are, you and... Uh, uh, law Professor Emeritus Bruce Miller and I are going to spend November 7th, the day before the election, talking politics, um, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. Um, but now we're going to turn to an interest, interesting thing right after the break with Nan Parati. And um, hey, you have until Saturday to register to vote if you haven't registered already. It is time. You can be early voting right now. November 8th is around the corner. Please vote and encourage every one who is eligible to vote that you know to please vote. Our democracy is imperiled. Our democracy begs you to vote. We're going to be back right after these messages with Nan Parati and today's interesting thing. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Following the death of a cannabis worker in Holyoke in January, the city is looking at ways to prevent something like this from happening again. The Holyoke Ordinance Committee met last night to discuss more regulations. Councillor Linda Vacant spoke with Western Mass News. I immediately filed an order to try to be sure that if there's any way that we can coordinate and collaborate with the Cannabis Commission locally, that we would be able to participate in preventing anything like this from happening again. 27-year-old Lorna McMurray collapsed while working in the True Leave facility on January 7th. Officials allege she died due to her inability to breathe after inhaling cannabis dust. Debate over how to best protect students from catching coronavirus continues in Northampton. Northampton parent Joe Pater thinks the school committee voting to adopt the state guidelines is too lax. Our school committee and our public health people don't have the ability to impose a mask requirement if the hospitals fill up, if teachers are out. The CDC and American Association of Pediatrics both recommend universal masking in schools when COVID rates are high, as school committee member Mike Stein explains. The state has delegated these decision-making powers to local control, which in this case is the school committee. Pater and Stein both say the school committee tasked with drafting these rules needs more information. 
Expansion on the Tilton Library in Deerfield is moving forward. Residents approved the additional funds needed during a special town meeting on Monday. The next step is a special election for a debt exclusion vote in early December. Showers and drizzle continue this afternoon, a high of 64 to 68. Scattered evening showers possible, then clearing overnight, a low of 50 to 56. Mostly sunny and breezy tomorrow, 64 to 68. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Bring your garden indoors with Winesick Nursery in Hadley. Create an indoor farm with herbs, annuals, and porch plants in a sunny window or under a grow light when temps dip to 50 degrees. Winesick has colorful pottery pots, potting soil, watering cans, misters, plant foods, and starter supplies, plus a beautiful selection of indoor plants and exotic plants to add to your indoor farm. Winesick Nursery on Route 9 in Hadley and at winesicknursery.com. We are the growers. Come to the source. An ensemble of women, BIPOC, femme, dedicated to the transformative power of dance and social justice. The UMass Fine Arts Center presents the Ananya Dance Theater in Dostok, I Wish You Me. Dostok, I Wish You Me explores the cross-generational love that carries global communities through difficult migrations, reimagining the possibilities of freedom. Led by acclaimed dancer-choreographer and educator Ananya Chatterjee, the Ananya Dance Theater is a dynamic ensemble. The Chicago Tribune says, more than most contemporary Indian dance choreographers, Chatterjee has completely transformed her genre. Get tickets at the UMass Fine Arts Center website. The Ananya Dance Theater. Dasta, I wish you me. Thursday, November 3rd, 7.30 p.m., Bowker Auditorium at UMass. At American National, we understand the tried and true farm and ranch lifestyle, and what's important to you is important to us. You deserve an insurance plan custom made to meet all the specific needs of your agribusiness operation. American National offers flexible farm and ranch policies with package options to help better protect your livelihood. We're right by your side. For more information and to connect with a local American National agent, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back those who have been with us and welcome aboard those who are just joining us. And it is Wednesday afternoon. Hmm, there must be an interesting thing because Nan Parati's in the house. Yay. Hi, Nan. Hey. <laughs> my guest what you this, got? my guest this afternoon okay if, if you remember last week we were talking with a friend of mine Benny Flores he was talking about his daughter who's 11 and goes to school and fights a lot and he was, we were talking about what is it like to be a kid these days how difficult is it so then I thought I know I'm going to invite a kid I'm going to invite the smartest kid I know to come in here and talk about what it's like to be a kid so my guest today is Belle Soleil Treme hi and I've known Belle since she before she was born, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, we have spent lots and lots of time together over the years, and I do I know her to be pretty interesting and always thinking. So, Belle, my first question is, what do you know? Well, I know that Bob Marley got cancer from his toe. And that's is that what killed him? Yep. Yeah. And uh, how do you know that? Well, I was scrolling through TikTok and. I just saw this thing about how some celebrities died, but it gave a conspiracy instead of just explaining. Uh-huh. What was the whole conspiracy on that one? Well, some people dropped off some boots to Bob Marley, and it cut his toe, and mm -hmm. it gave him cancer, and the ca cancer came through his toe, and it killed him. Oh. Well, maybe from this we can see that Belle is maybe not just a regular kid. <laughs> So, Belle, I really appreciate your coming on the show with me today. I really appreciate this. My first question to you is, do you, okay, in your world, do you feel like being a 10-year-old in the, excuse me, in the world compared to the world of, of, of everybody else, what's it like to be a 10-year-old these days? Is it hard? Well, it's not very hard, but at the same time it is. So, like, if you thought back to, for example, 2009 when my brother was 10, mm -hmm. so... For him, it's all about, for example, Pokemon cards and having friends. But now that more more younger children have more media, like me, mm -hmm. 
they can, like, scroll around freely and stuff, and, like, there's a ton of cyberbullying and just acting more older than you are. So, so you're, are, you, are you saying you're expected to act older than you are, you feel like? Or, do you, or, or the world comes, you're not allowed to be a kid as much, is that? Well, on the media, you're kind of expected to act older because it's like, quote unquote, earned it. But in like, actual, like real life, mm-hmm. outside of media, everybody's kind of like, why are you that way? Why, why don't you act like a normal 10-year-old? Oh, I mean, do, do people say this to you? No, but you can definitely tell they wonder. Really? Um, so, I mean, are you saying that people are critical of each other, or a little? Uh huh. And how does that play out? I mean, is it? Do, are people? Do people say things to each other like that? I don't know. I've never heard it, but like, you can just tell certain looks. If I say a certain thing, everybody's going to be like, "What? She's only ten. Why does she say this?" And do you feel like are these your friends, or are these like older people too? Older people. Oh, really? Uh huh. Um, what about with your friends? Do you feel? Do you feel? Do you have a lot of friends? We have to say that Belle's got a cold today, so she may be coughing from time to time. Um, do you? How? How do? How do you feel among friends? Or do you feel good? Do you have a lot of friends? Well, I switched schools, like almost a month ago. Mm-hmm. I started going to a different school. And I don't have that many friends because I'm completely different than everybody in my class from, like, head to toe to skin color to the way that I act. Uh-huh. Um, you want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Okay. So it's, like, hard to communicate with the other kids because, like, they act they act their age. It's not that I don't act my age, but I'm just more advanced. Like, I know stuff that they don't. I process stuff, stuff in a different way than they do. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I say... For example, like, comprehend, they're like, what do you mean? Oh, they wouldn't use a word, you're saying that's a bigger word than they use? Yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, what do you think influences you? My sister and my mom. Uh-huh, they're, and so your sister's being <coughs> older, she's older than you are? Yeah, she's eight years older than me. I see, uh-huh. What do you think, uh, in general, what do you think are the main things that kids your age regular kids your age, and then yourself, too. What are the things that, that that keep you up at night, that worry you guys these days? Well, I feel like for all kids, it would probably be losing their parents or the rest of their family. The mm-hmm. stuff that keeps me up at night is probably... Hmm. Am I going to wake up with both of my parents, or am I not going to wake up today, or... Am I going to go to school and get made fun of, or am I going to go to school and make more friends? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so parents have come up a few times here. Do kids worry about their parents divorcing? Is this something that is an on... Is this, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just curious. Is that when you say lose your parents, or do they worry about their, kids di- their parents dying, or do they worry about their parents divorcing, or what do they worry about? Probably both. Uh-huh. Like losing... It, it could be even like... Your parents both are still alive and they're still together, but, like, for example, for me, my dad completely changed even though my parents were still together and neither of them were dead. Mm-hmm. So some some other kids, like, they could wake up and be like, but what happened to my mom? Why, why, why is she acting like this? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, that's, that's really very interesting. Um, and, and you feel like that's something that a lot of kids worry about? Hmm. When when I think about it, probably, but I don't actually know. Well, if I if I were I don't have any kids, but let's say I did. Let's say I had a a ten year old. How would I, as a parent, address that with a kid? How how would I talk to a kid and make him feel good about the world? Let them experiment with stuff like like mm-hmm. get, give them the chance. So the, like if they wanted to experiment with experiment with makeup. Sure. Mm-hmm. Buy it yourself, though. <laughs> Wait, who has to buy it? The parent or the kid? The kid. The kid has <laughs> to buy their own makeup? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> um, but let's say, going, going back to what I was saying, though, like if I, if I felt like my kid was, was concerned about things, what would be a good way to address that with my kid? Well, what my mom usually does, she, like, she explains it to me, and then we just go back and forth about it. Uh-huh. You guys have conversations? Yeah. Uh-huh. And how does that make you feel? Fine. 
Yeah? All right, cool. That's good. That's good. Um, um, <laughs> um, I'm also interested, we've, we've got to go to a break in just about a minute, but I just want to know, too, um, do you interact with your brothers and sisters who are older than you? Do you interact with them the same way? No. Is it different? Okay. Um, and how is that? Well, it's pretty... F I, don't, I don't feel a specific way about it, but with my brother, it's like we interact through, like, going outside, taking walks, going fishing, and that type of stuff. But with my sister, it's probably, like, through fashion or social media or, like, when my mom takes us to get our hair done mm -hmm. or get our nails done. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. So, like, I, I don't really interact with her unless somebody makes her interact with me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, my, my guest today is Belle Soleil Treme, who is 10 years old, and we're talking about what it's like to be a 10-year-old. What's, what's that world like? Because I think a lot of people, we don't ask, and so that's why we're asking today. So we're going to do that. With Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. True terror, as Kurt Vonnegut said, is waking up one morning to discover that your high school class is running the country. So, with Monty's help, help, we take on the terror of that thought every morning at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Corsello Butcheria? Correct. They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Corsello Butcheria, the Italian-style butcher shop in East Hampton. The inspiration is a small family-run butcher shop in Rome. The meat is from local farmers they know and trust. Stop in for steaks and sausages, chops or chicken, or just a sandwich. Corsello Butcheria in East Hampton. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free, far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well without unnecessary risk? Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit Hug HugYourMoney.com. Want to know more about local history, literature, and education? Hilltown Families bi-monthly Learning Ahead Cultural Itineraries offer an easy way to delve into Western Mass culture and traditions. These new seasonal itineraries are produced in collaboration with a humanities scholar and community education expert, offering ways for self-directed teens and lifelong learners to engage in learning that helps shape a sense of place. Funded by a year-long grant from Mass Humanities, you can download guides anytime, free of charge, at Hilltown Families. Org. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with Nan Parati and uh, her interesting thing, which is Belle, beautiful young 10-year-old, Nan. Hi. Thanks so much. I'm here today with Belle Soleil Treme. Hi. <laughs> And Belle, my question, my next question is, I know a lot of kids have had, had a lot of trouble during that time when they shut down schools and shut down everything because of COVID. How did that affect your friends and how did that affect you? Well, I think it affected us completely differently because for me, 
It's not that I didn't have any friends at all. I definitely had more friends at that school than my new school. Mm -hmm. But, like, I only had friends in my grade, and that was maybe four kids Mm -hmm. out of 16. But for other kids, I bet it was pretty, like, sad because they had friends from that grade, second grade, first grade, kindergarten, preschool, mm-hmm. and fifth grade, sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So so what did you do during COVID what, when you weren't going to school, or how did you feel about going to school online? I was pretty fine with going to school online because, like, I didn't really have that much fun with, with any of my friends from school. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely more boring because, like, when you would go outside – You would be by yourself. You wouldn't have, like, a ton of friends to play with. And, like... Did you you feel lonely? No. Mm -hmm. Because it's not that I was lonely in school, but, like, I didn't have, like, a ton of stuff to do at school. So, I I felt fine with it, but other kids were probably feeling really lonely. Mm -hmm. I kind of enjoyed the time at home. Oh, you did? Uh Um, Uh-huh. Yeah, and you had said to me one time before that... One thing you enjoyed about it when I thought this was kind of funny, sorry, thought it was, that if you you could then just turn the teacher off if you didn't want the teacher there? Yes. Yeah. You, you could turn off the volume on your computer. You could hang up. Uh-huh. You could turn off your computer. Uh-huh. That, did that ever create trouble for you? No. No. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I created trouble in online school in different ways. Oh, how did you create trouble? So one time I was just on my computer eating and that day we decided to eat lunch on camera so we could talk to our friends, but I thought it was kind of weird. So we were doing, like, marking words, like marking your vowels and, like, the consonants and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to do duck, but I was speed typing, and I put the F word by accident in the <laughs> chat, and yeah. I got in trouble. I can imagine. But my mom told them it was an accident. Oh, okay. And then I didn't go to school for the rest of the day. Oh, really? Okay. All right. <laughs> that would be, that would, <laughs> that would get you in trouble, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a question for you. If you were the president or the king of the world and you were going to make the rules and how the rules would affect kids your age, what would you do? Hmm. Can you re say that question? If you were the king of the world, and you made all the rules, and the re- these are the rules that would affect the world, but, uh, but specifically people your age, what kind of rules would you make for the world? Well, for the kids, I would make, like, for example, everything free for kids. Everything would be free? Mm-hmm. Because, like, if, you, if you're that young, you shouldn't have to worry about your money, and you wouldn't, like, if your parents said, no, because I don't have enough money, you shouldn't want to have to worry about about your parents. Mm-hmm. So, and for parents, I would just make everything free too because it's really just paper. What What's just paper? Money. Money's just paper? Like people, people die over it, people argue over it. Like people, people live off of money. You're really just living off of paper. Uh-huh. So you would do away with money mm-hmm. altogether? Um, for everything or just for some things? For some things, because it's if it's like basic needs like food, cars, housing, shoes, clothes, mm-hmm. then I would make it free. But if you wanted to buy like mansions and expensive brands and have just like at, like at the the basic needs, but in more expensive versions, like if so, pizza could be free. But if you wanted like hibachi every night for dinner, you would have to pay for that because it's... There's kind of a hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Okay, all right, I see. Uh-huh. Like there's other foods in the world you can eat. Uh-huh. Would you maintain, like, schools the way they are? Would you change any part of that? I would change the dress code in schools. I feel like anybody can dress how they want to. Oh, do they have dress codes these days? Yeah, my sister got dress coded the other day for showing her shoulders. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. They've got rules about that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, you know, when I was in school, we weren't even supposed to wear pants. We had to wear skirts at all times. Wow. 
<laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you guys have it a whole lot better than we did as kids. Definitely. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, um, so, um, what are the things that in, that kids enjoy these days? What What is it that makes you happiest? Well, I mean, it's not even necessarily a... Is a um, physical thing, but what is it? What is it that makes kids happy? If I were a parent, what would I want to do with my kid that would make him the happiest? Well, it depends what type of kid you are. If you're like me, mm-hmm. or if you're like the rest of the kids. Uh, we'll talk about you first. Well, for me, probably buying me, like, or not buying me stuff that doesn't. I don't live off of people buying me stuff, mm-hmm. but I would probably want to like. Go get our nails done. Go get our hair done together. Just fun stuff. You like being with, I mean, is yeah. the experience being with the other people or doing yeah. this? It's more It's more about the experience than, like, getting what you get in the end. Mm-hmm. But if you were, like, the kids in my class, probably, like, taking them to the park or watching a movie with them, buying them Barbie stuff. But what I'm hearing you say, which I think is interesting, is what? It's not the stuff. It's the experience of being with people. Yeah. So are you saying that, and I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth again, but I'm asking, and you can say, no, Nan, you're wrong. And <laughs> you've never worried about doing that before, so this is fine. Um, but, am I say, but am I right in thinking that it's the experience of doing things with people in your family that makes you happy? Yes. Okay. All right. So I have a question for yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about your relationship to social media. Are you on there all the time? Are you there sometimes? What do you use it for? Well, for like for Instagram, I do. I I go to Instagram to see like style for like for like shopping and like what celebrities are doing. But on TikTok, I really just watch because it's like it's not. It's nothing really that important. It's just. Filling you in about stuff that's not like you wouldn't die if you didn't know about it, but but you get some enjoyment from yeah. it. Yeah. Do you do? Do you have another? Are you good? Are, we, no, yeah. no, I'm good. Okay. Do you do a lot of research? I mean, I know that you're a kid who likes who enjoys reading and stuff. Do you do? And you said you do your research about Bob Marley on TikTok. TikTok. Do you do a lot of research online, or or do you more more for entertainment? Kind of both. I don't really search about it, so. Like, I was just scrolling, and I see it on my For You page. It's just, like, suggesting stuff that I would like to watch. Mm-hmm. But it showed me, like, Bob Marley. Then they were talking about, like, the conspiracy. Mm-hmm. But after I heard about it, there was nothing really more I wanted to hear about it. It's not that, like, I was like, okay, I don't want to hear about this anymore. But it wasn't, like, super important. I didn't need to hang on to it. Mm-hmm. So... I basically just got in all the details I needed. I didn't need to go search out more about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to say, Belle, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been really, really fun talking to you. My guest has been Belle Soleil Treme, 10 years old, talking about what it's like to be a 10-year-old these days. Thank you so much. <laughs> Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHFD. The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than a thousand members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit Live our website at nchmp.org. It's 